Disappearing into the walls of One-Eyed Jacks, I'm Jasmine. And see you on the other side, I'm Melz. Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Rewatch. This week we're covering episode 7, aka the 8th episode of season 1, aka The Last Evening. Listeners, we've reached the end of season 1 and it's time to bite the bullet, baby. So let's rock. This episode first aired on May 23rd, 1990. It was written and directed by Mark Frost. Here with us this week is filmmaker, artist, tarot deck creator, and fellow Pixie, Bobby Abate. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is uh, 20 years in the making. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) That's awesome. Well, so what do you mean by that? Have you been a fan of Twin Peaks for a long time? Oh, yeah. I watched it when it aired originally. uh, Ooh, with my mom, I was in high school then, and you yeah. know, we like we would all sit and watch. It was crazy, but I was absolutely obsessed oh, at that point. I love it. <laughs> That's oh amazing. Gosh. So I think you're our first guest that was actually able to watch way back when when it first came out, and then yeah, is now. I mean, so have you watched the return? Were you into the return? What are your thoughts? I've watched all of it. So this is um, the season one. This is my fourth time rewatching it. Um, yeah. And the return, I just watched once. So uh, I do, I'm going to continue watching the whole thing again, all the way through. Yeah. (laughs) But I love the return. It was amazing. Just amazing. David Lynch unfiltered. Yes. Yes. Well, we're really big fans of the return over here. I mean, we love all of Twin Peaks, but we're, we're pretty hype on the return. So that's where we're at. (laughs) And Fire Walk With Me is incredible. Yes. Yes. Such a good movie. I mean, it got so people just like shat all over that beautiful little film. And I I hate it. I hate the hate that it got. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't get it. but It's 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 pretty well reviewed, right? Like these days it is. Yeah. 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 It's got that cult following. And I mean, whatever. It's an awesome movie. It's a it's a pure horror film. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that tends to happen with Lynch films anyways. Like when they first, you know, like debut, they then become like a cult classic and have a cult following. But in the beginning, people are always like, what am I watching or what did I just watch? And yeah, so I think that's pretty typical, but we love it all here. So yeah, I mean, that film scared the fuck out of me. Yeah. When I first saw it, I didn't sleep for like two weeks. I'm not surprised. It is. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about this episode. I honestly can't believe we're already at the end of season one, but that's what we're here to chat about. Bobby, dying to know what your overall thoughts on this finale are. It's so weird because when I was rewatching it again, like at the season, you know, the the pilot in the first couple of episodes, I was like, this is a little bit more schlocky than I remembered it, you know, <laughs> like a little hokey. And 
I was kind of like more skeptical. I was like, it's maybe this is like getting a little bitter in my memory. But by the end, I was like, by, you know, this episode, I was like, oh, it's like a masterpiece. Like it's just, it hits its stride so well. Like it's quintessential David Lynch. The music is coming in and out in this really masterful way. The scenes are cut together. The horror is just raw um, and the tension is raw and yet it's still campy. So I don't know. It's just, this is like a masterpiece episode and, and it influenced so much that has come after it. It's insane. Um, with the cliffhangers being like, yes. um, the way they were, uh, just so salacious, uh, one-eyed jacks. It's so crazy. All of yeah. it. Absolutely agree. A hundred percent. Like I, <laughs> I, I really do feel like I say this every week and I, I do think I say it every week, but like I went through all the range <laughs> of emotions in this episode again. <laughs> I mean, you're right. There was campy, but there was like real like scary parts. I mean, you know, with the stuff with Jacoby and then the stuff with Jock and and then all the things with One-Eyed Jacks. There was a lot of like, you know, I like the word salacious, like all of that. Oh, you just feel all of it come to. And then, of course, you have the big cliffhanger at the end. And even though I I didn't watch it in real time, even binging it and then can't wait to get to season two because that all I kept thinking was how did everyone like leave with this cliffhanger at that point in time you know back in the early 90s and not just be like oh my gosh you know how are we supposed to wait to find out who did you know who did that like it's like who shot JR right you know it's like yeah. that sort of thing so it was such a poignant moment and my life and all of our lives at that point because we were like watching it and like we were like screaming yeah you know at the tv set because we're and that was quite a long time to wait like i just remember waiting the days through the summer um for the the next episode we were just like dying who the hell did any you know who killed because it's not just any character it's cooper too it's cooper that they leave on the line yeah that was so shocking and very unexpected the ending was you expect to be left on the line about the murder, but sure. Those, yeah. All those other ones that were thrown in there were just beyond. Yeah, I know that's, I mean, that's in my overall thoughts in my notes here. I mean, it's just like everyone and everything feels like it's left on a cliffhanger. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a way to end a season. I, I will admit, I, I thought that this was going to eclipse the other episodes and be like the highlight for me of the season, but it's still, I still got to go with rest and pain. That funeral episode is still really at the top for me and as well as Cooper's dreams. But I mean, that said, this episode has got some really interesting magical stuff. Like there's some ritualistic stuff happening that we can get into that I find very interesting. And I'm not sure what to do with this yet. Again, maybe this will come into like a season one recap or something that we do. But this is the episode where I finally started to get this sense of like the woods is inescapable. Like you just look at these interiors at places like One-Eyed Jacks and the Great Northern and it's just all wood and I don't. And then there's even like the Hawaiian set inside of Jacoby's place and that's kind of separate, but there's just like the the inside is outside, the outside is inside. I don't know what to do with it yet, like I said, (laughs) but it's just giving me this like interesting sense of things and I want to explore it as we continue watching. So it adds yes. to the mysticism. Mm, of it. Yeah, for sure. 
And there's a tarot reading in this episode. I know. I've got notes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's do our damn fine facts, which honestly are very, very slim this week uh, because I've got like a lot of notes here. A lot happened. So the date tracker, this episode takes place uh, the evening of Thursday, March 2nd and into the early morning hours of Friday, March 3rd. And my only other damn fine fact this week is that the ladies who work at One-Eyed Jacks are apparently called the 52 Pickups which is not in the credits, I don't believe, but it was a part of this like trading card set that was released. And I think that's a great name for them considering what we see later on with Audrey. It's perfect. I love that. Oh my God, that character that walks into so... I don't remember that at all. Same, same. (laughs) I was like, how is that not burned in my memory? Back seamstress. (laughs) Thank you. I was like Notre Dame uh, or the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. I was like, what's going the on? Hunchback. Like, That's so weird. I was, I was like, why is she scampering off like it's that? So okay, weird. I, yeah. I totally missed that the first time around. I'm so many. Apparently, notes I missed it like this? the fifth or the sixth. Like whatever yes, rewatch I'm on, I've missed it so many times. Yeah. Oh my god. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there. I love Total it. Star Wars. So, <laughs> <moment>. <laughs> All right. Well, we open in Hawaii at sunset. Well, actually, it's just Jacoby's Hawaiian-themed office slash home. Uh, Donna and James have arrived to do their investigation, but Donna seems a little lost. Where do we look? Where do we start? Those feel like the same questions to me. Donna is firing on all cylinders tonight. She's on a roll. (laughs) She's on a roll already. These little umbrellas that they find, these were so intriguing slash creepy. It feels very on brand for Dr. Jacoby. This felt like a living journal to me. It, yeah, exactly. Like it really just felt like little mementos from like points in his life where he, you know, keepsakes. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know why each one of them is an umbrella. Like for me, I have a box of things, but it's like different things from like, you know, they're not all umbrellas. Let's just put it that way, you know, but I love how there was the little note explaining like what each one was. And I don't know, like to me, that's super nostalgic. And I was like, oh, I could totally see myself being like into that, though. Like to me, it wasn't <laughs> sure. yeah. weird, you know, to me, I was like, oh, I love that idea. The only weird part of it for me was I don't know why they were all umbrellas. So it's so strange because um, those little umbrellas, you know, they play with scale the way. David Lynch loves to play with scale and their mediations of reality that really Mm. fascinate us. Like as a child, I was so fascinated by cocktail umbrellas. They're so fragile and they're, and, and we open up with that shot of the, um, the wall, the Hawaiian sunset. So it's, it's like this further thing that, like you said, just a couple of minutes ago, it's like the inside the outside is inside constantly right. in all these different ways. And, um, and then it's a way that he funnels us into um, perspective to focus on tiny things. That's like so glitchy and like the macro close-up. I think that umbrella is like a, a nod to those things. Yeah, that totally I makes sense. Yes. I feel like it is just very on brand for Jacoby as well for them to be these umbrella type things. Like... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it just, yeah, it anchors it really well, I think. Also, Donna's hair is hot ironed, I think, in this episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Usually it's like a little curly curly ish, but in here it was flat. And I was like, wow, it's like, I was like bringing my head, like, does she hot iron? (laughs) 
<laughs> she she most definitely got her mom's iron out and put the hair ah, on the ironing oh board and iron. I Whoa. did that in high school. Oh. I know Donna did it as well. We okay. all ironed our hair. <laughs> am I right? Or yes. I yes. Do you remember how badly your parents would laugh at you? Like, you're going to put an oh. iron on your hair? Okay. <laughs> well, oh. thankfully, I had a mom who did it in the 60s. Oh, so okay. she helped me a little bit. But she also was like, because she's a beautician. So she also used to tell me, you're really going to regret doing this. But I'm going to let you learn from your mistakes, you know? <laughs> and I was like, no time for this. I've got to iron my hair for the roller rink. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple pairs of pants to do, then my hair's up next. <laughs> that's, that's right. Leave me alone, lady. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess Donna has been paying a little bit of attention because she does remember the nod to the coconut from the earlier Laura tape. She spots the coconut and inside they find the missing tape and the necklace. So they got what they came for. It's a pretty successful mission. Very Scooby-Doo. It is. It's Scooby-Doo. It's Teen Squad. It's Riverdale. It's all of these things. It's, yeah. My favorite part of this sequence, though, is definitely as they're driving away and Bobby is just there with the finger guns. Yeah, I knew it. I mean, there's no way for me to watch any Bobby scene now without immediately thinking of you, Jasmine. So I mean, I can't help it. Thank you for that. Perpetual Bobby's girl. Can't help it. (laughs) All right, so we'll head to Easter Park where Jacoby is kind of just chatting with himself in the woods as he creeps up on Maddie. And he is quite stunned to see what looks to be like Laura Palmer standing right in front of him. Why have Donna and James left Maddie alone? Plot? Oh, gosh. I don't know, but it's so, like, I would be terrified if I were Maddie. I mean, she doesn't know anything about, like, any anything, right? And she's just standing there like, twirling around the the pole of the gazebo, you know, in her Laura wig. And I just was like, oh my gosh, you are in so much danger. Like, it (laughs) makes me so nervous. The horror there is so, um, the tension in the last episode in here is so ripe. It's so intense. Like, I I just remember watching it originally and feeling so terrified for for Maddie, you know. Totally. Sitting there. Yeah, Yeah, especially with how things how things left off last time with just some creeper rustling around in the bushes. And now we've got Jacoby adding to the mix. Yeah. It's very creepy. Yeah. And that great sound riff at the cliffhanger of the last episode, it was like the first time I heard that sound come into the soundtrack, which was like, you know, just like a tension, like a tension, like hit just like, you know, I don't know what the sound is, but it really stung me watching it. Even this time, you know, you really get it that, that this person's in, Many it's levels not, of danger. danger <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not quite like I always call them horror violins. And I feel like everyone knows yes. what I mean. But it, it's not quite that. But it was like one note of that almost. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was like Ooh. high. But yeah, in editing, we call it like, I think it's slice. We call it a slice. Or Ooh, a whoosh. I like that. Well, <laughs> whooshing makes sense for David Lynch for sure, especially Twin Peaks. But I like slice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then Jacoby is beaten up by an unknown assailant and we close in on his eye quite oh, slowly. Such it's such a great shot. It's uncomfortable. It's interesting. Like it's, I don't know. And I really like how we lead out of that into the roulette wheel to bring us to one eye jacks. It's a really fun transition. So gorgeous. But that was so scary. Like when, you know, I mean, you're just not expecting. I mean, you know somebody, you know something is out there based yeah. on the end of the last episode, but 
it just came on so sudden, him getting attacked. And I just was like, no. Oh, I was like, Jacoby, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I love, he's so, he's got a place in my heart. So I was like, yeah. stop beating him up. Leave him alone. <laughs> it was like, leave Brittany alone. Leave Jacoby yeah. alone. <laughs> oh, poor Jacoby. All right. So, yeah. So we have gone over to the One Eyed Jack's casino. And uh, as we arrive there, we find out, well, we just see more evidence of the fact that Ed is not very good at gambling. But Cooper really excels at counting those cards. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's approached by one of the 52 pickups and he very politely declines. And then he offers up the chipped chip and invites Jacques for a drink. Oh, oh, oh Jacques. <laughs> <laughs> This is kind of the weakest part of the episode for me because, um, uh, yeah, like where it gets into like police p- procedural type. Um, yes. You know, the bait and switch is very perfunctory. I feel like it was ordered by ABC at that time to clarify you know, the script. Yeah. And I, I kind of glossed over this in my overall thoughts, but I did kind of wonder this is the first and only episode, I believe, directed by Mark Frost and well, written and directed by Mark Frost. And uh-huh. I was wondering, like, how much of the procedural uh-huh. elements are Frost and how much of it is the fact that it's a finale? They maybe didn't know if they were renewed yet, so they're trying to wrap certain things up or, yeah, I'm not sure. But then everything ends on, like, a cliffhanger anyway. So I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, you'd have to go back in time and, like, know all the ins and outs of the production at that time to, like, fully know what was going on. But I wonder if they yeah. went into research because this was such a huge phenomena by this point that um, I mean, you know, it's possible, that yeah. ABC maybe ordered some clarification elements. You could tell be- the difference between, you know, ABC's version of Twin Peaks and David Lynch's on Showtime, At- like yes, exactly. the level of abstraction <laughs> yeah. that he's interested in, you know? Yes, um, 100%. So yeah. Yeah. some of this stuff feels like, being an editor, I always know, like, you know, we have to give tent poles and clarify and, you know, right. everything has to be ultra clear for the audience. And so why not add this into, you know, um, this feels added to me uh, yeah. by, Interesting. by studio executive. Yeah. Well, that makes me want to go that. back and check out the original scripts just to see oh, what was in there. Yeah. That's such a good idea. That's such a good idea. All right, well, then let's head to the brothel area of One-Eyed Jacks where Blackie is doing some tarot. And then Audrey arrives and she's dressed, or I guess mostly undressed and ready for her first night on the job. Blackie says it's a great night to let her break in because Ugh. the owner is coming later. Ugh, whatever. Oh, Audrey so picks gross. the, it is gross, <laughs> yeah. So Audrey picks the Queen of Diamonds as like her card and so, of course, because Blackie was doing tarot and I then the deck of cards in my head and I was like, we're going to be talking to Bobby, who is a tarot deck <laughs> creator. I was like, I got to pull out some tarot notes here. So, you know, the Queen of Diamonds, at least in the system that I would use, I think would associate with the Queen of Pentacles. And I I didn't really see a link there, to be honest, at least for Audrey. Like, I see Audrey definitely as more of a page energy. I don't think she's a queen mm. yet. She's still a little too young and... Mm. And like keen and I I don't know, like I don't see her in that queen energy yet. But who I would see as a queen of pentacles is Norma. What do you guys think about that? Interesting. Well, because she's, yeah, she's a worker. That makes sense. Like she's like, she's like her own business and all that. 
Yeah, and she nurtures people with like food, like through those physical elements. Mm, and yeah, I, the um, the Queen of Diamonds. I thought I always took that as Audrey wanting to supplant um, her father's empire because uh, you know For diamonds sure. are money. For so sure, she was, and she's she's invading him constantly and upending his plans. So I think like she's like claiming herself as the queen. Oh yeah. Um, if there's a card in the deck that is Ben Horn, it's the King of Pentacles for sure. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, King of Diamonds, I should say. But yeah. Yeah. But weird, a face up tarot reading. Like I know. like she's just asking you to choose which card you identify with. It was so so uh I never paid attention to it before of this viewing. So that was interesting to see that. I think my my rewatch last year would have been the first time that I would have picked up on stuff like that, but definitely was like focusing in on it this time around. Yeah. And then I was thinking even like Catherine might be a queen of swords kind of energy. Nadine might be a a queen of cups. And I've always seen Cooper as a queen of wands. I think he has that real magic witchy energy to him. As the queen of king of wands or queen of of wands. Yeah. (laughs) Cooper, aging Cooper. Yeah. I love that. Because I think, (laughs) I mean, I think he has magician witchy energy. So yeah, he's very sensitive, which yeah. that, mm-hmm. and he's, and of course, all the fire. Exactly. Would have to be, yeah. It would have to be wands somewhere. Yeah. But the queen, I love that actually. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I love I that. I love this so much. Like, I just want to let y'all know, like, I, <laughs> I'm not, I'm obviously not on y'all's level of like tarot, you know, like I'm very much novice and like beginning to learn things, but wow. I mean, this is so fascinating to me. And like, I told Jasmine, like, even after watching Twin Peaks, I get a strong like tarot feeling from so many elements of the series. And it just, I love the way that, that they link up. And so it's just fascinating to hear you two like describe the characters and the cards that they would represent because I'm like, wow, that like, especially what you said about Nadine. I was like, oh, I can definitely see cups involved for Nadine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very emotional person, which is not a bad thing. And yeah. No, it's not. It can, yeah. it can get a little wild. But yeah, I think, you know, Mel's, we've talked about it before, but I think we still should figure out some some way of connecting Twin Peaks and Tarot. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see what happens after we finish the return. <laughs> yeah. If there was a Twin Peaks Tarot, I think like Nadine would be like the queen of coffee cups. <laughs> oh. I love it. Love it. Oh, no, wait. Um Norma, Norma would be the queen. The queen she of should, well, I yeah, kind of yeah. like the idea that the cup suit would just be coffee cups, though. So no matter <laughs> yeah, who's in, who, no matter who's in the cup suit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nadine yeah. would and have to be like maybe ones would be logs or something. <laughs> oh, oh logs gosh. would be perfect, perfect. Yeah. And Nadine would have to be justice with those drapes behind her. <laughs> oh, oh, I wow. love that. Wow. That's so that funny. That is wonderful. And I totally have, I have to write down a note for the spoiler section because I just thought of something that's so interesting. I'm just going to write down justice. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all I had about that scene. Did you guys want to say anything else about Audrey getting ready for her first night at One-Eyed Jacks? Just that the styling of that set of, Blackie's office is off the chain. The whole styling of One Knife Jacks is so inspirational to me. Like, um, as a young queer artist, I don't know. It was this whole thing. I'll just to say, like, Twin Peaks, the style in general. Like, I grew up with those style elements, like Chevron. My grandmother made Chevron afghans. We had wood paneling and all these little tchotchkes everywhere. I kind of didn't understand them. And I think, like, I mean, I love them and they were part of 
my nature and vocabulary, but, you know, watching Twin Peaks um, with all those reds and these tones, like it allowed me to um, enjoy and appreciate the mundane things that were all around me as superior and gorgeous. And like, it's open. It's like, it's actually informed the style of my entire house, my personal style, like the things that I love, like it, this is like the thing. Twin Peaks is like really the singular thing that gave me license to appreciate the things that are right in front of me. Yes. Um, that's what I, I love. That's that. beautiful. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love how Twin Peaks gives people like you're saying license or even like permission sometimes to just like embrace certain things about life or their own personality yes. or whatever. But yeah. Weirdness. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like I've, I've always felt I mean, just different. And like, I, I had always called myself very weird when I was like growing up because I just, I didn't find things interesting that like with the status quo, right? Yeah. For everyone else in my class or whatever. Like I didn't like doing a lot of the things that they did. I was into other stuff, but things that others would have called weird. And I love, well, first of all, just learning to accept yourself as you grow older anyway. But then also when you do find something like Twin Peaks, that really reaffirms the fact that it is okay to really be into something that is not just traditionally accepted by everybody. Right. Like that's what I love about it It is it is really reaffirmed the fact that I can accept and let my weird flag just like go. And I have like, you know, prayer candles uh, on my shelves (laughs) and things like, you know, they're just things that most people are like, what are you? What are you doing over there? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, no, it's awesome. I love that a TV show can do that. I think it was really the first one um, on TV at this level of popularity um, to, to actually celebrate, you know, unabashedly freaks and weirdos and, you know, uh, and in this whole other level, it was like every character is a weirdo. Yeah. In their own way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Aw, I'm all worried about you guys. Girl, I love it. me too. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we have to head back to the casino area of One Eyed Jacks because Cooper and Jacques are having a drink together. And Cooper is just like expertly playing Jacques like a little fiddle here. He tells him that he's been bankrolling Leo's operation. And he kind of like endears Jacques to him in a way by kind of saying, like, you know, Leo had you taking all the risk. And, um, and then he he had he with a little smile he impersonates Waldo saying Lara Lara ah. and he's mm-hmm. just able to get all of this information from this man who just has no I don't know like he he gets nervous at first and tries to go away but Jacques is just like an open book to Cooper <laughs> yeah just absolutely. dumb just plain dumb yeah Ex- exactly <laughs> by the bullet baby by the, the bullet classic line <laughs> i i honestly forgot that we got it here but of course because of what happens later on with Jacques. but actually i guess i think i had thought maybe it was in Firewalk with me or something that's but. where i thought it was i totally forgot that it was in this episode for some reason i've always thought that was in Firewalk with me yeah. so like i was pleasantly surprised when it it did the close-up of his when mouth you got his mouth that. in your face yes <laughs> I was like, yes, Doc, yes. He's so gross. Like, Yes, he is. But he's, he's like so Leo fantastic without... at being gross. I mean, yeah, I know, I know. Definitely. <laughs> he's like a neutered Leo, like just so. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, really. 
I loved all of the like weird facial close-ups that we got in this scene, though. Like we're just talking mm. about with Jacques, like the close-up on the mouth and the teeth and the spit on his chin. Yeah. And then you kind of juxtapose that with what we see from Cooper, who just has this very brief nostril flare as Jacques is retelling the night of Laura's death, because that's like the only way that he can kind of emote that this is making him uncomfortable, that he's not okay with this. And then we get that close-up of his eye and there's a little eye twitch. And I just loved all of those elements to really, you know, bring across like what Cooper is feeling in this moment. It was really good. Yeah, actually, now that you're saying this, I feel like the scene is actually really masterful in that sense, because it really makes you feel like this murder is going to be solved by the end of the episode. And yeah, that, like he's getting closer. That, yeah. Yeah. That, that the, uh, the series finale is going to show us who murdered Laura and it's going to go somewhere else. I, I remember thinking that like yeah. uh, here, that right. this is the true murderer. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, like we're saying, he's so gross. He's so disgusting. I mean, it's so easy for us to buy the fact that he is responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, basically Cooper tricks Jacques into accepting this deal. He just, Jacques takes this 5K without question and is just like, whatever, I want this money. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, So basically they're just trying to get him over the border so that they can arrest him. Great line in this scene when (laughs) Cooper calls Leo a low-rent hump. It is the second (laughs) time that Leo has been called a hump, and I like it. (laughs) I almost used it as my opening line. I almost said, and I'm your low-rent hump, Mel's. But I was like, (laughs) be nicer on yourself today, Mel's, okay? You're not a low-rent hump. (laughs) My least favorite character in this whole series is Leo. I just... He's awful. (laughs) It's too yucky for me, that guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So then we just have this really quick shot of Audrey just kind of getting acquainted with her new room. And then we'll head to Shelly and Leo's. Speaking of Leo, uh, Shelly's going to wash her hair in the sink, which felt normal to me at first because this is a thing that I watched like my grandmother do all the time. She always washed her hair in the sink. But then I was like, but you know what? I bet their shower doesn't fucking work because look at this house that Leo has created and has never finished. Like, of course, her shower isn't working and she has to wash her hair in the sink. <laughs> I washed my hair in the sink growing up, too. I think it was just then mm-hmm. that was, you know, in the 80s. Like, I don't the know. Times. It was so bizarre. But we, yeah, we, like and I remember my mom did it. It was. Yeah. Very, it seemed very normal, normal to me. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Like I can remember laying on our counter and then just like my head being like <laughs> over the sink. And like yeah. she would just be like getting in my scalp and I'd be like, yeah. Ah! That's you amazing. Know, like, <laughs> I never laid on the counter. That's next level. Oh, no. I love it. <laughs> no, I mean, my mother was, like I said, she was a beautician. So she was like, next level. She was like, I need you to lay flat on this counter Let's just and get I mean, it done. She was scrubbing too. Like I would just be in tears oh. by the end. Oh, yeah, like, painful. <laughs> yes, I'm like, let be nice to my head, please. But so it's so funny when you watch. Like it's so nostalgic for me, and I love that too because it's like in that moment, I immediately was like back in that time period, like getting my hair washed by my mom in the sink or watching my sister do it, you know, because she's like a a few years older than me. So she was like able to wash her own hair in the sink. But it just reminded (laughs) me so much of that. And I just was like, wow, like, oh, I love it so much. But it's just little things like that. They, you know, it just peppers in nostalgia for me and it just makes me love it so much more. Yeah, And you just shot your boyfriend, your abusive boyfriend in the arm and you're going to wash... 
your hair right now? I was... Well, she's got her gun there. She's all right. She, she brought her gun. And she to put wash the gun hair. aside. I know. So, yeah. But yeah. I love. Yeah, I, was... I love this as she's reaching for the towel or uh, to like wipe the soap out of her eyes. It's so. It's so thriller. It's so horror film. Like that little scene. It's so well done. It really raises the tension. And then, of course, Leo shows up and he is an absolute fucking monster telling Shelly that you made me do this. Whatever, Leo. Oh. Can't wait till we get to the part where you get shot. I know. <laughs> Again. <laughs> when I was in film school, like, you know, uh, we we did a whole thing on David Lynch and um, oh. he was very influenced by these educational films from the 50s that you can watch for free on archive.org. Um, and they're just like things that boys don't do. And they talk about abuse and sex and all these things. And oh. a lot of these scenes are like really pulled directly out of um, these like educational films from the 50s and 60s that show like situations of like potential, you know, kind of date rape, when to say no and yes, and when oh, to wow. abstain and things like that. So like, these are like kind of quintessential, like, they they're real, but they're mediated. They're he- so heavily mediated that you know it's just like here you are taking a shower, you you know washing your hair, you can't hear anything, and then your boyfriend comes up behind you, and the boyfriend is saying such intensely flat lines like "You made me do right. this," that are yeah. you yeah. know just like and in this context, which the worlds that David Lynch and Mark Frost create, just um, they have so much more depth to them. Like they bleed out into, into absolute horror, you know, which is yeah. kind of interesting. I love it. Wow. Oh, that's that is fascinating. wonderful. Yeah. That is super fascinating. Such oh. cool insight. Um, okay. So we'll head stateside where the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department is about to catch a big fish. Man, these dudes love a fishing metaphor. Uh, <laughs> my favorite is when they're like, He'll miss the catch, but he'll be there when we grill him. <laughs> right. I love it. It's so cheesy, but I love every minute. Of, the big trout is on its way. I'm like, yes. <laughs> this one's a keeper. <laughs> this one's a keeper. Absolutely. Oh, also, it's just like the whole talk about it not being as big as he thought it was going <laughs> to Yeah, yeah. From last week with, uh, with yes. Pete's taxidermied fish. Yes. My God, oh, they that, really love it. Was that in the last episode with the taxidermy? It was, yes, but it's oh, okay. great because it but just goes it hand all, in hand. It all goes together. Yeah, it's perfect. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is one of those more sort of procedural scenes to me. It's um, like you have to have it in a murder mystery or whatever. But, I mean, I it's so funny to me how intense Harry is in this scene. We've never seen him with this much bravado. Like, he is a very soft-spoken man for the most part. Um, and so it's really funny to see him the way he says, no, it's like it's so deep and guttural. And then a second later, he's hiding behind the very thin window frame of the car door, <laughs> which and, is and, and I mean, I get it like a gun has come into play and he's like afraid that he's going to get shot. But the way he was hiding was so you. silly. <laughs> I loved it because it was like, oh, and that like little curly mullet was just like, you know, doing his thing. And I was like, I am in love with you, Harry. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just the way he looks back at the camera and everything like, oh, you're not going <gasps> to catch me. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, lucky for Harry, Andy clearly has been practicing every day down at the gun range. And he he gets the he gets the jump on Jacques. Way to go, Andy. I know. Andy's so surprising. I know. <laughs> Think you better call that ambulance now. 
Now, I love this so deadpan when he says it too. I'm like, way to go, Andy. This is your, yes, your redemption arc. <laughs> There's something strangely sexy about him. Do you find him sexy? Oh, a little bit. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, especially here. later on when he talks to Lucy, I was like, wait a minute. What is this vibe I'm getting from Andy? Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, he like comes off of his big shot and then he's like, I'm going to make things right with my lady. I was like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pulling that stupid screen closed. Yeah. Oh my god. That was, that was great. Oh man. Uh, it's like accordion doors. Yeah. Yes. Don't I hate accordion doors? Don't get yeah, me started. Same. What what is even the point? Like just just get rid of them. <laughs> So we'll head over to the Hayward house where Donna, James, and Maddie are listening to the tape they found. And we do get to hear more about the mystery man than we heard earlier in the season. Love this line. If I told you, you'd be in trouble. He wouldn't be such a mystery man, but you might be history, man. I mean, (laughs) as Patrick from Talking Backwards would say, he's just, or Laura has just been inducted into like the poets of Twin Peaks. I mean, this (laughs) is just another fantastic line. Always wondering, like at this point, watching for the first time, like who the fuck is Laura? Like, just like yeah. what is going on? Totally, like, she's so dark. You know, this she's voice. Not- it's like so layered. <laughs> she just gets yeah. more and more layered. You know, oh my god, she's incredibly dark. And there's something so fascinating and intriguing about her because she she goes on to say like. The mystery man tried to kill her, but she definitely got off on it. It, He really Mm -hmm. lights her F-I-R-E as in red Corvette. I mean, this dialogue is so, I love it, but it is very dark, especially for an 18-year-old girl to be saying to her therapist. Absolutely. And then when she's like, oh, here comes mom with the milk and cookies. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just like, oh, it's the inflection. It's everything. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah, her know. voice I, changes. It gets creepy. like it gets like little girly in that moment. It does. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. He's tearing apart like the American fabric, the American dream, like this fifties, this notion that the fifties was perfect, and just you know, it it's just like this is the prom queen that was murdered, and she's so innocent, but you know, underneath it, it's like it's not even like what you can imagine as bad. It's just like drugs and sex and being beaten and prostitution and. You know, and just manipulation, all this. It's like she is unfathomable. You know, you even see her in that space. You know, there's just something she's about the darkness, the underbelly of this like veneer of all these veneers. We keep mentioning veneers, but there's this whole whole show is about veneers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Reality. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Laura has such a has such a presence while being completely absent. And I, that's something that I think about a lot with this show. And I, it's another thing I don't really know what to do with, but I know that it really fascinates me. Yeah. So. It was actually, um, at that time, um, they released a copy to bookstores of her diary Right. And I could not buy a copy anywhere. I remember my mom driving me to, uh, like 10 bookstores and wow. I, there was no way to get a copy of this fucking diary. <laughs> oh I think it came God. out Have in the summer. Between... No, actually I never, I never got a copy of it. Maybe it's online. I really want to read it. Yeah. yeah. I'm very interested to know more about Laura. Okay. So we have homework. Yes. 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 <laughs> Take away. 
Um, all right. Also in this scene, you know, James is just glad that finally someone told him he's dumb. I know. Bless his heart. You know what? I gotta be honest. I kind of like his reaction in this moment. It feels very un-James-like to me. Like, he doesn't just hit stop on the tape recorder. He doesn't scream with no emotion. He's just kind of very mature about it. And I was like, all right, James. All right. I still don't like you that much, but I, I dig this reaction. Yeah. Bless his heart. I mean, it was really genuine, but also sad yeah. at the same time. Because it yeah. was like, well, I'm glad that, you know... I went ahead and found out. I could have spent my whole life thinking I was like, you know, you want like a man of thinking dreams I was or smart. whatever. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, bless his heart. Yeah. And then they sort of determined that Jacoby was trying to help. And I don't really know why they think that, but okay, whatever. That's Neither fine. do I. That was a leap, wasn't it? I, yeah. I think so too. Like, I'm not sure how you get there from what was on that tape, but. That's that's where they at. And, I, you know, Donna, I think, is right to question, well, why does he have the necklace then? So yeah. anyways, we'll head over to the Packard sawmill. Um, we see one of the mill's machines in action before cutting to one of the drying sheds where Leo has tied Shelly up and is planning to burn her alive with part of the mill fire as part of the mill fire. Leo is an absolute monster. He <laughs> is the most toxic masculinity of all toxic masculinity. It's just, it's very, ugh, ugh, it's terrifying. It's really terrifying, this scene. You broke my heart. I'm so glad you said that. I literally was about to say, yeah, you broke my heart, Shelly. You know, just like, gosh, I- I just can't with Leo. I hate him so much. I've so always much. hated him. So much. And it just gets worse every time I rewatch. I'm like, ugh, you are so gross. I can't even go there with you. Also, the lines are delivered in the worst way. I and mean, I'm just wondering, I, it has to be intentional because it's just like, this guy is like, like portraying someone who's so deeply disconnected from uh, humanity. Yeah, reality. From, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. He's deluded. I mean, we're going to yeah. see more of that later too. He's fucking yeah. deluded yeah yeah he's the ultimate gaslighter you broke my heart <sighs> yes 100 <laughs> percent. oh my gosh yeah oh and he's getting ready to light some other gas to burn that mail <laughs> <laughs> good Woo! one Jasmine. all right yeah moving along whistling past that one let's head over to the hurley house where nadine prepares a picnic of pills and says goodbye this is so sad this music this like twinkly mm. dreamy theme that comes in here and the way she so softly says goodbye this is oh my gosh it's overwhelming this is one of those ritualistic type things that i was talking about in my overall thoughts mm. the way she fans out the blanket the way she pours the pills pours the water the dress that she's wearing i mean this is a whole thing and it's it's depressing as hell because, like we talked about last week, like the drape runners are more than just an invention for Nadine. Those were her salvation, the key to a new life, and that has been lost. This is so yeah. sad. Why are you laughing over there, Bobby, at poor Nadine? <laughs> the drapes. The drapes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so sad, too, because she looks absolutely beautiful. She like does. when, you know, just in that moment, she. Her beautiful red hair against that beautiful pink dress. And it's just, there's a softness to the background. And like you said, the soft way she says goodbye. And oh, I just broke my heart. Oh, I was just like, no, Nadine, don't give up on the drapes. Don't you give up. Don't you dare. (laughs) Don't give up on life because of these drapes. (laughs) 
Oh, all jokes aside, it got me in the, it really got me in the feels. I was like, oh, gosh. You know, I was thinking of you when this scene came up. I know. I know. I'm so, I'm such a Nadine. (laughs) She's such a, um, you know, like that pink uh, dress that she has on is such a insane, like, you know, prom dress, you know, it's just, it's, it's such a, such a nod to what we will see eventually yep, coming yeah. from them, you know, um, it's, but it's also know, it's just, just like more evidence of this, like stunted growth in a sense, like she yes. just can't make it past a certain part. And it's, it's really sad. I, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what was going on with the drapes and like, but then, um, you know, we have, we have the criterion collection. We saw this Frank Minnelli film. Oh. I can't remember the name of it at all, but the whole thing happens inside an insane asylum. And the whole movie is about members, the the director of this insane asylum, the doctors and the people that are in the insane asylum fretting about the drapes. And um, it's like, oh. who wants to order the fabric for the drapes and what will the drapes look like? And um, you know, the old the old bookkeeper is just ordering the cheap cotton fabric, but the wife of the director wants these beautiful drapes. And then the director hires these other people to uh. paint the drapes by hand, the patients, that the, one of them's an artist. And then the drapes all come ripping down with the rod. And, and the whole thing is, it's just like all about the proper drapes. And I was like, I uh, turned to my boyfriend. I was like, um, this is where this is Nadine. This is where that <laughs> yes. whole thing oh came from. Oh my gosh. Wow. We just found her origin story. I love this so much. <laughs> and that is so chaotic. What you described to me is so chaotic. And it almost makes me think that's probably like what's going on in Nadine's head. You know what I mean? Like there's some sort of chaos going on in there, which is why yes. she was so focused on these drapes, right? Like it's, yes. it's really not about the drapes, but like, yeah, it comes out in a very weird fashion about the drapes. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that. All right. Well, let's head to the Blue Pine Lodge. And as we saw last episode, Hank was there with Josie. And, you know, he's been doing some thinking on the value of human life. And I got to be honest, I'm a little torn on his logic here. I, I kind of agree and I kind of disagree. And it's it's also a little it's also a little wonky. And, you know, there's numbers involved and a little bit of math. So, you know, my <laughs> my head was kind of out of it. But he says that 90K is great if you've got lots of time left, but that more would be better if your time is short. Okay, see, for me, this was this didn't make sense to me because I kept thinking to myself, wait a minute, if you're if you're thinking you might not live that long, you ninety thousand is is plenty enough money, in my opinion. If you think you're gonna live longer, then you'd want more money. That's where my mind was going. But again, we don't math yes. at damn fine TV. So <laughs> yes. I was and like, I, what am I missing here? Like, I think that's true. And then I was like, oh, maybe because he, like, if he only has a certain amount of time left, he wants to do a lot within that time. So he needs more money to accomplish that. But also he wasted, he wasted, quote unquote, 18 months of his life in prison. So to make up for that, it's like this market value of those 18 months that he's talking about needs to be higher. I don't know. Listen, it's Hank. Like, I don't think we should care that much, to be honest. But this is just intimidation towards Josie, really. Yeah, yeah and I think that is what he's talking about. He's like, I was in I had to go to prison for 18 months yes. to deflect all the ch- charges. So now my life is shorter. Right. Uh, and I need more money. Yeah. Basically. It's just point he, blank. he has a very strange <laughs> way of talking about it. I think it's all on brand for Hank. 
I think what we're meant to really take away from this scene, though, is that it's, I mean, it's at least very heavily implied that Hank killed Andrew Packard or that Hank and Josie were working together in some sort of shady way and it involved the death of Andrew Packard. But we're definitely supposed to pick up that there was more to that than meets the eye, for sure. I really hate these. Um, so just traditionally in my in any viewing of anything, <laughs> I really hate when male characters come back and claim power um, like yeah. this. It's just like, so this was an incredibly disappointing scene for me to watch originally and again i just i mean i just can't stand this character um and you know just in general because i feel like the world of twin peaks is already so full Mm, Um, when this character got reintroduced and is kind of another leo um, exactly you know that's such a great point and he gets introduced like almost halfway through the first season. It's almost too right. late for him. Like, you're yeah. right. The world already feels full enough, and especially full of these male monsters where mm. how yeah. many more can we take? I would rather just another really strong, powerful female character enter into the- I would the... love another Catherine. Yeah. Oh, Catherine is, she is Piper Laurie. Like, she's great. so good. And yeah. yet, oh. like, that character is not integrated- well enough as well as it should be for sure yeah yeah yeah. she's so good oh my god her performances are so good well we're gonna get more with her in just a minute but we have to talk about this other moment of ritual here as hank forces josie into this blood pact it's gross and it sort of makes me feel for josie again except then she uses the blood as a lipstick and i'm like (laughs) why why you do this what are you doing (laughs) Oh, but shenanigans, like, is that what you call that? What <laughs> is shenanigans? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's ew, it's it's definitely a power move. It's it's this gross taking back of power that Bobby was just talking about. It's ugh, ugh. It's there's something about blood that is so it's way too intimate. It's way too intimate to be shared like this. <laughs> yeah, there's there's something about the Josie character, I think, throughout the whole series that's not fully realized where, yeah, you know, I think even some racial stereotyping comes into her yeah, um, putting blood red lipstick on her lips, which I think is meant to, to maybe show us that she's got more power in the situation than we think. But um, she's always mm, yeah. whispering and nervous and shaking and, and demurring to, um, to the male characters, even, um, uh, you know, even uh, the chief, what's, I'm sorry, the, uh, what's his name? Oh, Harry, yeah. Harry. Harry, yeah. So it's yeah. like, um, there's just a lot of, uh, like, her, like her attitude, like, and you always, for Josie, I always want her to rise to a, a I wanted to be clued in that she's more powerful than we're seeing that, you know, like, like visually, we never really get that. Well, I'm now thinking something that you just said, the way that she does put the blood over her lips. I mean, it's as if, I mean, she is then consuming part of this deal. And maybe that is a way of her being in power some way of this deal. Like she's not just standing there and just letting it drip down her finger. She is actively becoming part of it as well. Maybe that is a, a, a slight visual there for us. I don't know. Yeah. She's vamping herself with his blood. Mm -hmm. Totally. doing what's completely unexpected. You expect her to wipe it off or maybe lick it if she were in the pact, but she wears it like yes. power lipstick. Yeah, and... it's true. Hmm. Oh, wait, so that movie is called The Cobweb. 
The Cobweb? Okay. It makes no sense. That title makes no sense. No. But it's called The Cobweb. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> you all have to I watch, it. watch it. And let's I record another it. podcast about it. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll do, uh, we'll do an Instagram in. live. Yeah, let's do an count Instagram live in. about The Cobweb. That'd be wild. I'm, I'm 100% <laughs> down for that. Okay, okay I gotta great. find it and then yes. Put it on the books. We're in. Okay. So in my notes after that uh, whole blood ritual thing, I just went, okay, next scene, please. Because <laughs> I yeah. was so over it in the moment. <laughs> but uh, we'll head back to the Packard sawmill where Catherine is desperate to find the second ledger and hopes to find an ally in Pete. And he's very won over by this hit of nostalgia that Catherine really gives to him. But it's obvious that she's not being genuine at all. I was I was fooled at first because, you know, I've been not remembering a lot of elements of this first season, but it's as soon as they hug and she just rolls her eyes and does that like pat on the back. It's like, OK, Catherine hasn't changed. <laughs> I know. I really, I mean, it's, so, it's so funny. I really felt the opposite watching this. I was like, I thought that they really do. I think I felt like you the first couple of times watching it. But this time I was like, oh, she really does oh, care about him. Interesting. I, I think she cares, but I don't think that she I, I think she cares, but it's very she's very one track minded. Like, OK, I do care about him. And I think that was like probably genuine when they were having their where I put reminiscing about their you know past together and everything. But I still think that it comes into focus where she's like, I don't have time for the lovey dovey stuff. I need to find the ledger. Right. So, like, get on board with me and, and become my wingman on that. Were you guys surprised by her frankness in this scene? Like how, how like she just said, I'm fucked. Can you help me? You need to help me. Like I was shocked by that. Well, yeah, because that's to me, well, she hasn't displayed that sort of like, yeah. I'm not in charge of what's going She's on. She's never before. vulnerable. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I love a vulnerable bad guy. Like when you see the vulnerableness and especially this character, I, I mean, for some reason, I really love this scene. Oh, I enjoyed this scene very much. It was it was just great to see a different dynamic between the two of them for once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I loved that line, like under that scar tissue, if there's a flicker of feeling, I'm asking you to feel it now. That's a really nice line of dialogue. So nice. I just want to know, though, what time of day is it? Because Leo is there about to burn down the mill, but people are still working. I'm just, you know, it's one of those time in Twin Peaks things, but it just seemed very bizarre. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, what's going on? (laughs) I did think the same exact thing. I was like, this is. I, I mean, feel I like guess, that was placed in edit for, for, for that was probably coming earlier. Yeah, maybe it's like out of sequence or something. I mean, I know it's like kind of still winter time, so maybe the sun is setting pretty early and like this, <laughs> it's not that weird. But yeah, burning down a mill feels like a thing that you do very late at night. And right. very quickly. And also like, like <laughs> we've already had a bunch of stuff happening at One-Eyed Jacks and like this is going into the early morning hour. It's it's bizarre. Whatever. Time right. in Twin Peaks, yeah. man. Time in Twin Peaks. Okay. TPT, Twin Peaks time. <sighs> That's it. I think so, they cut that. Yeah, I do think they shot that scene was meant to be early and they just put it there for edit yeah. for effect. I don't it's know It's possible. I mean, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. So we'll head to the sheriff's department where Ed and Hawk are regaling the men and Lucy with the story of how Andy saved Harry. It is a very nice moment for Andy And then it's a nice moment for Andy and Lucy uh, until Lucy reveals she's pregnant and Andy just can't deal. 
<laughs> the way he opens the <laughs> the doors back up after that and just walks away. I was like, oh no. <laughs> like <laughs> but then Fresh also coffee. Lucy, yeah, I was about to say <laughs> as soon as Lucy cut but I love how Hawk was like, okay, yeah, I could use a cup of coffee. Like he just walks right over there, like, no big deal here, nothing to see. But that's what I was referring to earlier. Like there was that just the way they were hyping him up and they were like, Yeah, way to go, Andy. And then he's like, Yeah, you know, beat on his <laughs> chest like a gorilla. Yeah. I'm going to get my woman back and I just <laughs> the whole thing like you can tell she's into it she's like oh especially when he made his pew pew noise you know like oh the way she walks up. away with that watering can real quick she is ready <laughs> I love it but yeah then she says you know I'm pregnant and he's like and <laughs> I need a moment to process <laughs> yeah wow another cliffhanger like just another I- very Just another true. little thing to yes. salivate over. Yes. Yeah. So then uh, Leo, quote unquote, calls with some information on James saying he's an easy rider. Um, and there's a, a clock chiming in the distance during this phone call and it rings four times. So I ask again, what, what time, time is, is it? it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, let's head to the hospital where Jacques is being treated for his gunshot wound and he's very forthcoming once again with details on the night of Laura's death. Maybe it's because he's too stupid to lie, but uh, <laughs> I don't care because I just love when he goes, those girls were no nuns. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down a line for you to say here. Uh, Leo and the girls, they go. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this accent. It's so over the top and stupid. <laughs> like he said, he really holds that on for yes. so long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Walter, oh, the last name, Walter Olkowitz, I hope. But he is so, he's so great. Like, you really get a sense of who Jacques is throughout this episode, who is this person who really has no uh, mask whatsoever. Like, he just is what he is. Um, He's very carefree in kind of a way that's, like, disturbing yet intriguing. And, like, I don't know. I What is it like to be arrested and not have any anxiety (laughs) at all and to just be, like, so open? (laughs) It's just— Well, a seasoned criminal, I guess. I suppose Probably wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good question. I mean— Plus, he was in the hospital, so probably at that point... He like, might have had some pain they, meds. Right, like, they've given him something. He's like, oh, the girls, they're gone, ha, 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 you know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, maybe he'll get a little nervous when he actually gets down to booking later, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right now, he's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> well, we know that the... <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then we head over to where Dr. Jacoby is, and he his condition has stabilized, um, but he has made some wild claims about seeing Laura Palmer. And I know this is a very common saying, but I did just like the way that uh, Dr. Hayward said he's out of the woods. It just feels mm-hmm. very on brand for Twin mm-hmm. Peaks in general to say somebody's out of the woods. It just carries mm-hmm. so much more weight. Mm-hmm. All right, so over to the Blue Pine Lodge where Catherine continues her search for the second ledger while Pete reminisces about Midge. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, Midge. (laughs) And then Hank calls actually with the whereabouts of the ledger. So Catherine grabs a gun and heads into the night. For me, it's all becoming a little bit much like Hank and Leo are in on the mill thing Ugh. with Ben, who's also working with Josie, who's two-timing Catherine. I mean, I get that it's like a soap opera thing, and and this is what we're pulling from in this genre, but 
at this point, I'm just like, can we just get back to Laura Palmer and like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just starting to become a little like, okay, there's a lot of stuff happening here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of wires to try to uncross to figure out. I like, got to unspool more yarn for my yarn. Like, exactly. you know, my yarn board, <laughs> keeping it all together. Yeah. And this the storyline, I think, is the, the unraveling of of the series, which is just like, mm. you know, it's not interesting. It has no supernatural, um, you know, pieces to it. It's not unusual. It's so perfunctory as a storyline about who wants this mill for the Ghostwood Estates. And so it's just, it's not an interesting storyline at all. It's a real, like, you know, sadly for me, it's like a fail, like this. this I think a lot of people feel the same way. It's usually people's least favorite parts of Twin Peaks. It, It usually delivers some good dialogue, some funny moments, but on the whole, it doesn't really, you know, do anything for the larger vision i think but yeah yeah it's completely disconnected from the main narrative too which it doesn't make it interesting right so (laughs) yeah exactly yeah true okay so we're over to the double r and it's nighttime at the double r it's a very different vibe at our beloved community hub it's a bit of a sleazy one you know hank is putting on a show for norma and i think you know she's watching but she's not enjoying (laughs) she's not taking the bait no, when yeah. they when they kiss, it looks like her soul has been stolen it from her, <laughs> sucked out of her body. Yeah, I hate I hate Hank as much as I hate Leo. So like this whole <laughs> like interaction between him and Norma, I just cringed to the whole thing. I was like, shut up, trying to be funny with oh, how many rocks did they get in the mattress? <laughs> you know, just oh, all of that. I was just like, yeah. get off my screen. I hate you. I don't want to see you. Yes. <laughs> And also all the ice cream machines, like she was were right behind her. So it was like yeah. really like her iciness was yes. being really echoed by Love those things. It. It's really cool to see that. Yes. And the show doesn't pull any punches. Like it's not trying to tell us that Hank is a redeemable character. I mean, it's it's very clear with the music in the background. Like there's no there's no second guessing here. Like Hank is sleazy. Right. He's a manipulator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so over to the Hurley house where Ed finds Nadine passed out and is desperate for his wife to hang on to what life she may have left. He slaps her a bunch of times (laughs) and then uh, just calls an ambulance with a phone that has been very conveniently placed right next to Nadine. I mean, was it there the whole time, Nadine? Like, I guess so. I don't know. Call for help. I, I know. Oh, it just, that broke my heart. Okay, like, I love Audrey, but I love I like I love Nadine probably more than Audrey. And she's like my queen in my eyes. And just to see I I know that Ed loves Norma. We all know this, but just to see the emotion with Nadine too, like Yeah. Ugh. I'm so torn. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, I love this love story between Ed and Norma, but how could you do this to Nadine? You know, it's like it's so good to me. So mm-hmm. good to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so over to the sheriff's department again, and I love the sequence of events here. It's it's just very carefully constructed in the way that, like, Lucy relays the info about Leo's phone call. She hands the note to Harry, who reads it quickly, passes it to Coop, who also reads it, 
All the while, she's giving this information about how she heard the clock in the background, which tips them off to Easter Park. Harry gets Hawk on the job. James arrives. Coop intervenes and gives a note back to Harry. Then Leland creeps in looking for more info. Ugh. Harry dismisses him, heads outside. The Doc and Leland chat. Leland gets more information than he should. And then we head to the conference room with James and Coop. And it's like so much happens so quickly. And it's really effortless. And I had to like pause and and pause like pause play pause play just to pick up every little beat yeah. that was happening and yet when you watch it in sequence it's just like oh that's very smooth choreography I really liked it absolutely agree great connective tissue yes, yes. Yes. But also here at Easter Park, I was like thinking about it because it got mentioned so much. And then we have the resurrection of Laura inside Easter Park. Oh, my God, Bobby. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. It's so bizarre. That is great. I really like that. Yeah. Not much to say here. I do. I, I am happy that James is finally giving information to law enforcement like, you know, it just seems like the right thing to do. Like, get rid of the t- the teen squad. Come on. Yeah. Um, they do find that coke, obviously, that uh, Bobby had planted. And I did want to note that, like, the way that Leland keeps showing up is very intrusive. Like, he keeps showing up in places that he should not be, where he has not been invited. And yeah, yeah, it's it's turning. This was a turning point for me where I don't feel sorry for him as like not to right. sound. Not to sound heartless, but it turned from he's a grieving father. I feel bad for him to all of a sudden, like, there's something malicious, like there's something unsettling about what's going on here, because all of a sudden, yeah, like. I I was not comfortable. I was very uncomfortable by Leland. Right. Like before when it was uncomfortable, it was he's grieving. I feel bad for him type of uncomfortableness. This one was I need to leave. (laughs) Uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we start to see, just throughout the series, we see him getting darker and darker, and he snaps at Sarah. There's something that's just uncomfortable about him. Yes. It's intrusive. Like, you don't, you just don't want him there at this moment. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. All right, so over to One-Eyed Jacks, where Ben is finalizing the Ghostwood deal with the Icelanders when Hank calls to let him know it's time to take out Leo. Speaking of Leo, we head to his place where Bobby is looking for Shelly, but only finds Leo crazed and waving an axe around. Love Bobby's pivot to, oh, man, I'm so glad I found you. I've been looking for you. (laughs) Cops are after (laughs) you, man. (laughs) So accurate to how somebody like that would actually act in that exact situation. Coming yes. to sleep with your girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. I'm so glad I found you. Oh, by the way, Yeah. You surprised me there, but I was looking for you. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's nearly lights out for Bobby until Hank shows up and takes out Leo instead. And then as Leo seemingly dies on his couch, he gets to watch a clip from Invitation to Love. He sees Montana being shot by a mystery shooter. Perhaps some foreshadowing for later in this episode. Love it. (laughs) Yes. Over to the Packard Sawmill, where Catherine arrives to find Shelly all tied up and screaming for help but somehow finds a way to be irritated with Shelly in that moment. (laughs) I can't understand you with that thing in your mouth. (laughs) I love it. It's so Catherine. Like, this was like one of my favorite Catherine moments where she just was like, love this interaction. So over it, you know, like, yeah, like, do you think I could understand you with that thing in your mouth? Whereas it's like, just go help the poor girl tied (laughs) up. Just think about it. (laughs) Such a fun and good scene, that one. Yeah. Um, 
because you you don't know what Catherine's going to do. You never really quite understand her intentions. Um, no. Exactly, she plays it really close. You know, it's a, it's a good character, and she yeah. really is just in things for herself, which is fine. I I kind of love a female character that can just be in it for themselves consistently, and so. Yeah, you never know if she's going to save Shelly, and she doesn't even know Shelly. Like, that's the disconnect between the certain parts of Twin Peaks, I guess, right? Where these mm-hmm. characters just don't know who each other are. I wish she was more of a suspect for uh, Laura's murder. I, like, I kind of wish that she was more... Yeah. Ra- yeah mm. I, it would be cool if she was more wrapped up yeah. in a possible sub, you know, suspect for that. Because at least that would help tie in that area of the story, too. Yeah. yeah. And it's Pete who finds Laura. You know, in the very first true, episode. and we talked yes. about that in the pilot. And I was like, I, it's curious why it's Pete. Is that just to help anchor those characters into everything else that's yeah. happening? Yeah, yeah. The little alarm that Leo had set goes off, and the fire starts, and like the most amazing jam kicks in. Like the music is so intense, but also not at all. It's like a Casio preset. I love it. It's just it's so <laughs> intense. And Catherine, you know, does decide to save to save Shelly after sort of the roof caves in. And she's like, all right, I guess we better get out of here. Right. Yeah. Like, OK, I've wasted enough time. Let's just get out of here. So we'll head over to the hospital where we get I, I thought another great transition, like from the fire to the fire alarm being pulled. Mm-hmm. And then um, we see that Leland has decided to smother Jacques to death with a pillow. Ugh. The way he is silently screaming while the alarm is going off, and then as soon as the alarm goes off, he just is like Leaves. a blank face. Er, right, yeah. Just like, what? yeah, what's going on? Oh, so, yeah. That's such a soap opera way to kill someone, too. Oh, absolutely. Totally. <laughs> I'm not sure if that you could actually kill somebody with a pillow putting over their face like that, but it's so soap opera. I mean, I've always wondered that because you do. I mean, <laughs> I grew up like, not, not like that. But because I grew up watching it yeah, in the soaps with my grandmother. And so, like, I always thought to myself, can you actually smother someone, like, who's thrashing and moving around, like, with a very thin pillow like that? It just yeah. it never made sense to me. No. <laughs> and then the gloves, like, just that that whole shot yes. is just, like, yeah. out, of, out of, like, a 1960s soap opera episode. You for know? sure. But it does a good job of mixing the soap opera element with a very, like, thriller or horror element. Just the gloves and the tying him down to the bed. Like, I think it really increases tension. It's, yeah, it's all working yeah. really nicely together. And it's interesting what you said because, you know, about Leo dying in front of the soap opera because yes. this is pulling the soap opera. It, it is essentially a soap opera. It's pulling those things out and and actually giving them a totally different realm of depth, you know? Yes. So we go out from one soap opera to the next. Like it's, there's, they're always mirroring each other. Yeah, 100%. And there's something else about Invitation to Love where I feel like it's trying to remind us that we are watching something. Yes. Like that show within a show always makes me feel that way, no matter what show it's happening in. But it's like this reminder of like, this is manufactured in a way. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. That was shocking to me. To yeah. See. yeah. Um, even I just kind of thought like the first time I watched that it was Leo or Hank or something. I mean, especially I thought sure. it was Hank. Yeah. We also, yeah. I think we all thought it was Hank when we first watched it, right? And um, Yeah. And then yeah, because it, it kind of seems Leo. like Hank is going to tie up some loose ends, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with yeah. Leo, but yeah. Right. It feels so connected. But so that's the first time we see exactly how insanely dark 
Leland is. Yes. That he's yeah. capable of murdering someone, yep. even if it's to justify his daughter. But we wonder, you know, is it to justify his daughter's death or is it something even more devious? Is he doing oh. the same thing that Hank would be doing? You know, like it, mm-hmm. it complicates Leland at the very last moments and it's terrifying. That I found that terrifying. That face, his face. Yes, that face. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's, that gave Ugh. me nightmares in high school. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. Absolutely. It is very, very chilling. Yeah. And then we're back to the Packard sawmill where uh, Pete Martell arrives and we just we get to see his heroic moment as he runs into the <laughs> building, ready to save Catherine, screaming, she's still my wife. <laughs> no, God bless him. Okay, so over to One-Eyed Jacks, where the Ghostwood Estates and Country Club deal has officially been signed. And I think this is the first time that we really learn what the Ghostwood project has been all about. And we also learn for sure that Ben is the owner. I think we had some ideas that he maybe was, but it's confirmed here. Which means that Ben is the one that's here to see the new girl, Audrey, Ugh. his daughter. Ooh. <laughs> uh But before we get to that interaction, we got to talk about how Audrey is sitting in her room like a little doll having a a patch sewn onto her by a humpbacked seamstress. Yeah. (laughs) Who then disappears into the walls. Like, it's so strange. (laughs) You never see their face. No. No. You might get like a side profile, but they're also covered. Like, I feel like she was wearing some sort of headband. She was wearing a headband and glasses. Yeah. And she had like a card stuck in like the leg of her glasses. Like maybe the headband or something. It was so bizarre. I rewind it like three times. I was like, I have to see this. Because I was shocked. Like we talked about before. I cannot believe that I have never noticed this. Yeah. Wow. There's so much going on. Right. I think it's, I don't know. I never saw it either. Well, also, you're so worried about that moment that you're not thinking about it. Yeah, you're not thinking about this quirky little seamstress (laughs) that's all of a sudden there. But it it, like has this like fairy tale feeling to it, which I think Mm -hmm. kind of just adds to the whole feeling at One Eye Jacks, honestly. And why are they sewing the car? Why, you know, and like hobbling off and it's so Also, why sewing it on while she's wearing it? Like, is this not a thing that you do before she gets dressed? I don't know. It's very, it's interesting. Bizarre. It feels very ritualistic, like you were saying. It's like another part of the ritual. Very true. But I mean, this is a very stomach churning moment. Like it's realization time for Audrey as she hears her father's voice when he walks into the room and the menacing nature of seeing Ben approach her through the hallway, but shot through the mirror, I thought was so, so like, I don't know. It just really, it really amped things up for me. It was horrifying. Yes, it was. Yeah. I have to say like this moment of the father walking in on the daughter, like of all Twin Peaks, everything, like even after for years, this is what I remembered as being the last scene. I didn't remember- Agent Cooper getting shot. I didn't remember Leland killing um, Jacques. I this is the scene that like really stuck in my head as being the one that was just the most intense, the most over the line, the most the most powerful. Wow, it's, that's it's so, so interesting. Visually, it's stunning. Yeah, and, but yeah. also the 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 scenario is mm-hmm. like absolutely horrifying. Mm-hmm. It's it is gross. As we say yes. here at Damn Fine TV, gross. <laughs> <laughs> gross. <laughs> 
so we do head over to the Great Northern, though, for one more scene. Cooper has returned for the night. He's very pleased to not hear the sound of Icelandic singing, and he's looking forward to the warm milk that he's ordered from room service. But unfortunately, he'll never get that milk. Um, So inside the room, he does find a note addressed to my special agent. He gets a phone call from somebody who he seems to not recognize, but then it's very clearly Andy. Yeah. So that was a little strange. That was weird. Um, But then there's a knock at the door, and Cooper is then shot three times by a mystery shooter. And this is what I was talking about with the invitation to love thing. I was like, I thought maybe they were mirroring what happened to Leo with the Montana stuff, but I really think that they're mirroring what's happening to Coop because the way that Montana reacts to the shooter, it's very clearly a mystery person. And this is also Mm -hmm. the mystery. We don't know who's just shot Cooper, so... Yeah. Do you remember about the phone call um, when Agent Cooper picks it up? Yeah, it's like the Peanuts vacuum cleaner, or it's like you can't hear anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -mm. But then, yeah, I think it's just quiet. Yeah. And who? Then we do we have Agent Cooper acknowledging that it's Andy calling, or do we just hear Andy on the phone? Yeah, yeah. It's like after he he lays the phone down, it's like he's frustrated with the phone call for whatever reason. Like, can't this wait till morning? Um, and then he puts the phone down to answer the door. And then we hear Andy saying, uh, Agent Cooper, we found Leo. He's been shot. So yeah, he never knows just, that it's Andy on the phone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like even it was very weird because he's like, who is this? Well, first of all, like if it was Andy, you would recognize. Yeah. Like just the whole yeah. thing. It was very. Ugh, I bet it's added in after the fact um, in edit to like for some reason. Like, yeah, I, I bet that's David another Lynch thing. Didn't should, want anything. Probably not. Which yeah. fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, that's another thing that maybe we could check out in the original script for sure to see what that was originally intended to play out like. But I don't know. I guess it just also just amps up the strangeness of this final mm-hmm. moment and leaves you wondering even more what's going on. I mean, not that we really need much more because I mean Cooper has just been shot. But yeah. Oh. Man, what a cliffhanger. It really is. It's it's an awesome way to end an episode. And uh, that's it for, for season one. That's, that's all. So let's quickly run through some case files. So Hank and Josie had something to do with Andrew's death. Laura bit the poker chip because Leo shoved it in her mouth to shut her up about Waldo biting her. Jacques never went to the train car. And here's a confessions with Jasmine, guys. It's hard to keep track of the brass tacks logistics in Twin Peaks, and I'm okay with that. This segment was born out of a desire to follow these details a little closer, but I've given up. And case files are being put to rest. Oh. <laughs> so goodbye, case files. With yeah. Uh-oh. We'll see you later, case files. It's been real. It's been a slice. <laughs> so interesting that you mentioned about Laura getting bitten by the bird. That was like another really horrifying moment. Totally. And I like the birds. Yes. I was just about to say that was, I think that's still the movie that has scared me the most. I've Mm rewatched it as an adult and I find it quite funny. Actually. I think it's just because of the times it's a little silly. Um, But it's, it still does in my mind, terrify me. The idea of birds like that, like, I don't like birds just like agent Cooper. I'm not here for them. (laughs) I think they're very pretty on certain things, but not in real life. No, thank you. Yeah. And just that visual of like a bird biting her in her moment of death. And then there's that weird bird in the opening credits, which 
I, you yes. know, that's just like it's there and it's very innocent. It's propped. Yep. But even the bird gets these levels of darkness like Laura. She's like, the bird is like a, almost like a mirror of, of Laura too, right? It's like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. so bizarre. The bird is dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. totally. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to head into the spoiler section. But before we do that, just in case any of our listeners aren't joining us, um, Bobby, we just want to say thank you so much for being here. This has been an awesome conversation. And uh, any tarot people that are listening over here, you got to check out Bobby's IG. You can head over to Outsider Tarot. Um, he's got a deck coming up that I am super, super excited for. But like anything else you want to promo, Bobby, or anywhere else that people should follow you, find you, anything like that? Uh, Outsider Tarot is a perfect place to find me. Thank you. I've, I've had so much fun doing, like going through the episode. I've been so excited to do it. Um, but yeah, Outsider Tarot is a good place to check it out. And you know, I, I would just say, like you know, the Outsider Tarot itself is, you know, very influenced by Twin Peaks. You know, it, it, I as an artist was so influenced by yeah. Twin Peaks. So that energy, that weirdness, uh, the embracing of weirdness, all goes. You know, helps make me an artist and which led oh, yeah. to the outsider tarot and also my interest in the tarot is probably coming from some of the spirituality and weirdness the way things are open in weird ways in twin peaks like you find your own way it's not yeah. the it's not the prescribed path right like twin peaks is speaking of a different reality um so as a tarot person yeah. that's what i believe you you find your own path your own reality yeah. so i love that yeah I love I it. I see yes. such a connection. I think Taro and Twin Peaks can hold hands and skip down the lane together. They're a perfect yeah. match. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next week if you're not coming with us. But for the rest of you, let's head to the spoiler section. Terry, Hawk here. The trout's heading upstream towards the net. Hawk, hold the line. We'll set the hook. You got a 20 on Agent Cooper? downstream about 10 minutes he'll probably miss the catch but he'll be there when we grill him copy that we'll make our move as soon as the big fish shows his fins and we're back in the spoiler section so what do you got this week Mel's? um i don't really actually have much the only thing that well and i guess i didn't really make this connection the first time around which seems really a obvious now but I love how Andrew it ends up that Andrew has faked his death yeah. right but then also Catherine does sort of the same thing and their siblings so like <gasps> yeah I, I didn't really actually fully make that whole connection until when Hank was talking to Josie and I was like oh actually uh, you both right. faked your death um yeah so but I don't really, I mean, have much. I'm just, uh, you know, I mean, I could talk about the return until the cows come out yeah. about just, <laughs> you know, everything like Hank saying, and perhaps it's the next 20 years that matter when he was talking with Norma, even though we come back 25 mm -hmm. years later in the return, but still just like gotcha there was thinking. just this air. Yeah. 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 So that's really kind of all that I had written down for, as far as like spoilers go. And also, I think you you really start to question. I mean, you you don't have an idea that Leland would be Bob at this point, but you do start wondering, okay, like what's actually going on with Leland? There you know have what been I mean? like, several red flags up to this point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
There's a lot happening. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring up that connection between the, like, uh, between Catherine and Andrew, because for the first time around, I'm really seeing this really sort of, like, distorted and ugly echo between Laura and Leland and Ben and Audrey. I mean, it's definitely not one for one, but there's something really, <laughs> there's some line crossing happening between both father and daughter pairs there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So apparently in the book Twin Peaks Behind the Scenes, Mark Frost says that Leland is the one that attacked Jacoby. I cannot remember if this is something that we actually find out, though. Do you guys remember? I thought it was Leo. I I thought we saw Leo do it. No? I don't think we ever see who attacked Jacoby. No, I don't. Oh. Yeah. Mm. See, for some reason, I was thinking that it was Leland because then he, like, shows up at the police station I don't know if they're in proximity to each other. And he watched Maddie leave. Right. Like, but I don't know if that, I don't know if that's just me knowing everything that happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I knew it was Leland the first time watching it through. I'm pretty sure I didn't think it was Mm -mm. Leland, you know, but Mm -mm. this time around, I'm like, oh, okay, well, it makes sense. So that would have been Leland, I guess. So, yeah. Um, I just have two more quick things. When Leo says, when Leo is telling Shelly, like, you think about it for the next hour as he's, like, tying her up and telling her to think Ugh. about, you know, how he broke or how she broke his heart or whatever. I'm sorry, but when anyone says to me, you, th- uh, like, think about that, I just always go, think about that, Tammy. <laughs> 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 I, I always hear David Lynch's voice <laughs> in my head for that. <laughs> Um, and then this is just like a random thing. So you brought up the idea of uh, Nadine being the justice card sitting in front of those red curtains. But I also see it as a Diane card because of the way that we sort of end. Well, Diane's Tulpa anyway, the way we end things yes. with Diane's Tulpa. And what's so bizarre is that so Mel's and I recorded an episode yesterday with another Twin Peaks podcast. I dressed up as Diane for it. <laughs> And before I, like, was deciding, I pulled a card, and the card that came out was Justice. And I was like, what the hell does this mean? And then I looked at the red curtain, and I was like, I got to do it. I'm doing it. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I Isn't love that. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I've got for spoilers. Bobby, do you have anything for spoiler section? Yeah, I find it, you know, just uh, Leo, I find, comp- uh, I remember being so bummed that he came back. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> as, a, <laughs> no. as like a whatever. Yeah. Yeah. At um, least things are about to head downhill for him. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I found myself connecting it to the newer Twin Peaks. You know, I think um, the season three, the return, you know, because it seems like a lot of stuff that happened in season two um, was was stuff that David Lynch didn't want to have happen. Yeah. So I think like mm-hmm. some of these things launch off from a different reality than where the narrative actually went. Interesting. Um, yeah. Because it really just, and I think we get a lot of clues from the return as to what David Lynch's central focus was, right? Like just, um, yeah. and where his heart was with the storylines that he picked up and continued. And then the ones that he just that, like that, that whole mill dropped. thing that, yeah. that yeah. fell to the wayside yeah, yeah exactly like we don't know anything about Josie and that's what, actually one of the most fascinating Twin Peaks moments in Twin Peaks history for me is like Josie winding up in the wood right in the grain of wood at the very end of season two which feels incredibly important I mean yeah it's so silly but like wood is a character in the show and yeah. like it, I mean it's important it has a central importance to the show I mean trees are <laughs> so prominent so 
the Packard sawmill. I mean, wood is important. The log lady. So the fact that she does end up in a piece of wood, I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. What you're saying like wood has life and there's like this Native American thing and all these things that these are actually spirits right. that are inside of these trees. Yeah. And like, so she's assumed into the woods, like some gigantic storyline was about to open, but it never even comes back in the return. It's, it centralizes around the, the Bob character and the, um, you know, and, and kind of that weird alternate reality, even though the return mm-hmm. also ends in a way that's very unsatisfying. <laughs> Ooh, I find it incredibly satisfying. But <laughs> no, but you want more, don't you? It's like you Absolutely always want more. But I'm satisfied by that as well. Like I would never want to watch it and go like, oh, cool. That gave me everything I ever oh, right, wanted. Right, you know? right, right. Like, yeah. 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 But I still look and I'm like, when's Twin Peaks season four coming? I have a Google alert that I get emails about, okay? Because oh, okay. I yeah, cannot yeah, yeah. fucking wait. I don't know if we're, if we're ever going to get it. I'm hoping that David Lynch's new project on Netflix will have some sort of tie-in. We can all hope and pray that Wisteria is the sort of Twin Peaks season four. So, Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, I don't know about this. I have to look. Uh, uh, Wisteria yeah. is this a new Wisteria. A new yeah, that's like the title that it's going under during production. Like the so. working title. Yeah. 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 You all know that Mulholland Drive was actually supposed to be yes. a TV show. Yeah, yes. So that's, that's, yeah. That would have been love, so incredible. Would have loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes you think I like agree. ABC was, they had no, like the those big networks back then, like they were sitting on a gold mine. Like Twin Peaks changed the world in terms absolutely. of television shows. Like it opened yep. up something completely new and it made a left turn. And they canceled it, you know, because it wasn't getting sufficient ratings. And now you get this golden age of television that we're in now where shows just can really continue and be fucking crazy and weird. That's that's because David Lynch brought it there, you know. Yes. It's so interesting to think that, like, David Lynch, Mark Frost created this wonderful piece of television. It went on to influence so much. And then I think because of that, we get what we saw on Showtime. Like, there is no world where an auteur-driven show like The Return exists without the original Twin Peaks then influencing so much that came after it. It's like a time loop itself. It's so interesting. (laughs) And David Lynch actually took um, from Dark Shadows, the original soap opera that aired in the 60s, there are a lot of mistakes and over-the-top performances and hurried storylines there that like right. a lot of David Lynch, like you can, like, if you watch that, you can pinpoint a lot of his influences there and in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, okay. which is about to be remade too. Oh, wow. That was like, that was like the first weirdo fueled um, show. It was on late night as a soap opera it aired for two years, Mary Hartman, but um, hmm. Louise Lasser. Uh, David, it's clear that David Lynch took that and brought it into right. a drama. You know, these two yeah. things, soap operas, that, that's where experimentation happened. But well, we whether have, it was real or not. <laughs> we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of homework, a lot of films, a lot of TV to watch. We've got The Cobweb. What did you just say? The last one was Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which is getting remade. Right. As, so the, the whole thing about Mary Hartman was like, the housewife obsessed with the waxy buildup of her floor. And then there's mass murders and, and people getting shot in the groin and boy preachers. It's very like these characters okay. are really out of Trump weeks. <laughs> I and am then, really into this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so good. But um, 
they're making a new Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman that will star Stevie from Schitt's Creek as Mary Hartman. Oh, fun. Cool. Excellent. Well, if that's all for this week, there's someone knocking at my door. It must be that warm milk I ordered. Ah, yes. 24-hour room service, one of the premier achievements of modern civilization. Wait, Mel's, don't answer that. Mel's?